0: Fine, fine people of the internet. It is good to be back in the podcasting chair here and talking to you guys. We have got a banger for you guys today. Uh, we had a an interesting weekend in the Kingpilled space. We, after the the last episode that we did, we had a uh, uh, I put together some clips from that and posted it out on Twitter, and we all worked together to tag as many people as possible and shameless shamelessly whore ourselves out and get as much interaction with it as we could. And we were successful and it just so happens. Now we're going to definitely claim credit for the, uh, the, the growing popularity of the idea of, of conducting a plagiarism audit of academia. It 100% definitely was our episode and us talking about it and us getting that podcast. We're getting that clip trending and, uh, it didn't have anything to do at all with an angry billionaire tweeting about plagiarizing academia on the exact same day, but we posted our clip first. So we're going to claim credit for it. Um, we'll get into some of that more here as, as we go, but Cooper, how are you, sir? (coughs) Hello. About like that. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cooper. Cooper and I are still, uh, recovering from AIDS. Um, it turns out maybe we need a little Martin Shkreli in our life. Maybe then, uh, um, we could, we could get the connection to the AIDS drugs. That's a joke, that, <laughs> yeah. that's a joke that people may not get now, but they might get a little more, a little bit later. <clears throat> uh, two bit podcast says that you have five bathtubs in your basement. Can you confirm?
1: I have approximately zero bathtubs in my basement.
0: Approximately like. Rounding down to zero. <laughs> I got a lot of zip ties. <laughs> Duct tape. <laughs> Lie. <laughs> Do you remember the, uh, the, the uh, did you watch Breaking Bad? Yeah. You mean, I remember the first season? The, the bathtub scene? <laughs> yeah, I just melt through two floors <laughs> of the house. Right, yeah. Red sludge. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, it is it is Monday. It is also uh, we are finally out. Not finally. That's the wrong way to say it. Um, the the Nativity fast is over. So we are we are uh, back to as us Orthodox people here are back to the non fasting life for um a few days. And <laughs> uh, yesterday. <clears throat> I not only have I been fasting, I've also been, uh, sick. So I've been like involuntarily fasting because I've had no appetite and I've lost about 15 pounds, uh, over the past three weeks or so. And, uh, part of it has been just not really eating, eating a, a lot of, I mean, not, not eating a lot in general, but really the, the cal- calories I have been consuming have been, uh, mostly carbs. And, uh, I, I may have pigged out a little bit on the protein yesterday and, uh, at, at Trapeza, there was some amazing, uh, barbacoa and some pulled pork. Like this is one thing for, for Orthodoxy. This is probably like the least important reason why you might want to join an Orthodox church, but if you like good food, I have yet to go to any sort of Orthodox gathering that didn't have phenomenal food. We happen to have some very good cooks in our parish and we've got incredible foods, there was barbacoa and pulled pork and, and, uh, some beef tacos. And, uh, so I kind of pigged out a little bit and felt like I was in a coma most of the evening. Um, Yeah, me too. I was talking to Cooper, and he said he had the same experience. And Cooper's actually, um, he's getting started on a, uh, as you guys may know, we are businessmen. Businessmen, yeah. uh, We have a a fitness and nutrition coaching business where we we provide those services to uh, fine fellows in need of them. Uh, We like servicing fine fellows. So uh, Cooper has been, uh uh-huh, we're very good at it. We get rave reviews even, um, in fact, one of the things we most commonly get reviews for is, uh, is just how much people's, uh, that was going to get a little too graphic there. Um, (laughs) even for me, even for me, I was going to get too graphic. Uh, we get a lot of rave reviews about, uh, well, let's say improving people's gastrointestinal condition. So there's a little, um, maybe a little remote proctology involved in our, in our, in our male servicing business that we have. Uh, anyway, so, uh, Cooper has been, has been, uh, uh, he was basically bulking throughout the first part of the winter and now he's getting ready to cut. So he was just telling me about that. Um, and I thought some of you guys might find some of this interesting because he's kind of got a bit of a unique approach that he's taking where he's going to be both cutting and, um, uh, continuing to work out and build muscle at the same time. So Cooper, do us, uh, do us a favor and tell us what you're, what you're experimenting with and what you're trying to accomplish. Hmm. I
1: did not expect to be put in the spotlight like this. Let's see if I I can. I told you I was going to. Ad hoc. (laughs) Well. Let's see. Trey 50 Daniel. Servicing fine fellow sounds kind of gay, unfortunately. Zoom, dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to figure out if that's a zoom on him or if it's a zoom on you for not. Getting the uh the like the the deadpan from him. I don't know yet. <laughs> but I gave him an oh, that's out true. in case he okay. didn't get the go- get the joke before. Now okay. he has an out. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm the dummy.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Anytime that we can call uh Cooper the retard, it's a it's a good time.
1: That's fine. I have like the IQ of like like a fish. <laughs> I'll be at a smart fish, but you know, a fish nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> in any case uh, I, I don't know I'll give you the Reader's Digest version so as long as you're providing the requisite stimulus for your body to trigger an adaptation and build muscle um, then you can build muscle even if you're in a deficit so long as you're getting enough protein to maintain and a little bit extra to build if you got those two things working together and you're getting enough carbs so that you're not you know, your body doesn't have to <clears throat> uh, break down protein like muscles and stuff like that to, to get glucose. I and mean, you'd be all right. So just have some, you know, have some honey or whatever throughout the day should be all right. Um, get a decent amount of protein. You don't have to go crazy with the protein. Everyone thinks you got to go crazy with the protein. You don't have to. Just a little bit more than you need for maintenance. And then you'll build muscle because you can only build at a certain rate. Like, I mean, okay, you can adjust those levers a little bit, but like eating, like, I don't know, 400 grams of protein a day or something, or a million grams of protein per day is not going to make you build muscle faster. You're just going to be sick and kind of fat and bloated. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I I don't know, just continue, just keep topping off the glucose tank throughout the day, so I never kind of go into catabolism, is at least the, the idea they're running theory I have here um being a slight deficit as far as like calories are concerned um you can do that by eating a little less or expending a little more and then hitting the gym and going really freaking hard once once or twice a week should be all right so Mm -hmm. We will report back in 12, 13 weeks, and let you know how we did. My goal mm-hmm. is to drop about, and I'm going pretty aggressive. So my goal is to be about twenty pounds, lose twenty pounds in the next. Oh wow! The next, uh, yeah, twelve to thirteen weeks. But twenty pounds. Twenty pounds. Wow. I would not. Okay, I would not. This is not what I would recommend people yeah. do. Yeah, right, right. This is I'm experimenting. This is,
0: yes, this is this is the uh, this is part of the part of the the, the job of being a businessman is experimenting. Sometimes you have to experiment and sometimes you don't have a, uh, a subject to experiment on. So you experiment on yourself. Right. That's, and that's, that's how it's gone so far. And we've had good results uh, thus far. We've actually, every time we've been like, Hey, I wonder if this idea would work, let's test it on ourselves or some people it's actually worked even better than we expected. So um, I kind of have a suspicion that, that Cooper may be pretty successful with this venture if it tracks along with the rest of them. It's kind of interesting that you have that, these, these two, like, uh, my own guinea pig. Right. Right. You have these two errors of excess that happen, um, in the, the, the strength training, whatever sort of, uh, community where you have the people who say like, you need to eat metric shitloads of protein. And that's the way that you're going to build muscle. Um, as if it's like, okay, well, if that, if that, uh, If that was the case then why would you not train yourself to like you said eat you know like like a thousand grams of protein or you know five thousand grams of protein like why why would you not like try to build to that why would you just say arbitrarily oh, about this many this much is how much you need On, on the flip side and then on the other the other excess is is oh well you have to you have to lift weights for you know x number of hours x days a week and the more the better okay well why are you not lifting weights 10 hours a day, seven days a week, or 24 hours a day, seven days. Like, why would you yeah. arbitrarily cut it off at some point?
1: Just take two weeks off of work and just hit the gym nonstop. Don't ever leave. Don't even sleep. Just keep working out. And by the time you walk out, you'll hit your goal.
0: Right? Yeah. It should be that easy. Right? If, more, if the goal is more is just, better. Yeah. If more is better then that, that should be the, uh, the way it goes. It turns out that that actually is not the way that it goes. And, uh, more is not better. In fact, in many cases, more is worse. Um, probably for most people, more is worse. I guarantee you, those of you who are training, I guarantee you, the vast majority of you are probably overtraining. Um, and uh, oh, those yeah, those of you who aren't, it's very it's much easier to get started than you thought. So, because uh, I we just can got off out with that if you want,
1: I just got off, or wrapping up 13 weeks, just got off of 13 weeks of, of training with Xavier and bulking. And by the end of that 13 week, we, I think. We were working out every six or seven days, and numbers are still going up, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you don't need to work out four days a week, three days a week, for an hour, hour and a half. You don't need to do that. Just a half an hour, once or twice a week, you're good. Because as you, as the number goes up, whether it be weight, reps, whatever, weight, the stress gets higher your body needs more time to recover from that stress. Mm -hmm. The more stress you, yeah, this isn't rocket science. Mm -hmm.
0: And when when we say, to be clear, when we say 20 to 30 minutes working out that 20 to 30 minutes should be hellish. That 20 to 30 minutes should be very, very difficult, very psychologically difficult. Um, because you want to make that 20 to 30 minutes count. You want to go and it's, it's like sprinting versus marathoning. If you sprint, you're going to sprint all out. Like if you're running a, running a, like a hundred meter dash or something, you're not going to be easing off and like trying to get like max endurance or anything like that. You are putting 150% effort for a hundred meter sprint and then you're recovering. And it should be the same thing with your strength training. It has to be absolute max effort. There's some specific technical stuff we can get into with you as well if, if you guys are interested. Um,
1: is this, Ryan Isaac says, is this the 2020s version of CrossFit but for 20 minutes? No, because, uh, oh, sarcasm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, because CrossFit is gay. And... Yes.
0: <laughs> is it as gay as keto or is it gayer? No, it's not as gay as keto. Okay, yeah.
1: And it's, it's gay for different reasons. hmm Like the people who do CrossFit, like they're, they're pretty hardcore, I guess, but, um, I don't know. It, it's just a good way to get injured. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Anyways, um, I, 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 if I don't cut us off here, I, I have other stuff that's coming to my mind that I want to say, and we're going to spend the entire time talking about, about, uh, strength training and nutrition. No, we can do that. And Why not? A, well, it would probably be a little bait and switch. We might get in, we might get, uh, get in some legal trouble. Um, this is a really awkward segue into Martin Shkreli and the legal <laughs> trouble that he got into, uh, <laughs> for, uh, for some kind of fraud. <laughs> um, uh, what's up Samoa, Bob, Ah, oh, we got to, uh, we got friends from another part of my life jumping in the stream here. Hey, That's... we got a Zeter. That's a, a guy Zeter. on the Zeter app. Oh yeah. Yeah. Zeter. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I saw up here uh, Kevin Crater as well from Facebook. What's up, man? Uh, we are streaming on uh, YouTube. We're also streaming on Twitter and Facebook. So um if you happen to frequent any of those platforms, then you Sorry, can watch guys. us there. Forgot you the can... green light. Oh man. Everyone got a peek behind the scenes. Yeah. Night vision. Uh, and then uh also it's a it's a podcast. You can download it on any of any of your podcasters. It should be out there. Gotta hide the bodies. Yeah. Yeah. You got to ha- hide them in your, your non-existent bathtubs.
1: Right. The no- <laughs> I'm going to hide the non-existent bodies in my basement and the non-existent bathtubs in my basement that are not in my basement guys. <laughs> They're not. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> um, all right. So for the, uh, the actual subject matter of the, uh, of the episode here today, um, I wanted to show you guys something that, uh, I, I'm very proud of our little community here because I view this very much as something that the, uh, the King Pilled community accomplishes a joint effort on was it Friday or Saturday. What day did I tweet this? January 6th. Two days ago. Saturday. So <laughs> um, we went I from... like the clip. I
1: like the clip because you're just there ranting as is your want and I'm eating the whole time.
0: <laughs>
1: adding nothing. <laughs>
0: No, you chimed in. You had multiple spots here. Maybe, oh, did I? Maybe not in this clip here, because I had to... So I made a... I, I took the full episode... And I feel weird with you like giving a, me credit, because I didn't do anything. It, 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 I condensed it down to like a 12-minute clip, and you had no, numerous spots where you were, you were in there. It makes
1: me uncomfortable that 37,000 people have seen my face, so I'm happy <laughs> to not have interjected much. I'm happy to let this be all you. I want them to remember
0: I'm, you, not me. I'm noticing now, looking at it, that you're you're a lot greener today than you were in the clip there. That's because Maybe, I turned off the, this this the light. angle of the. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I like the extra green. Keep yeah. It that way. Okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So I, I, I distilled down this this clip, got it as short and punchy as I could, and then uh, the the whole idea wasn't even our idea in the first place. The whole idea came from the King Pill uh, Discord. We were having a voice chat. And we were talking about this issue of, um, uh, the, this, this thing going on with the Harvard, uh, president and plagiarism and, um, her handlers replacing her and whether or not this is a win and what it would, what would constitute a win and all this sort of stuff. And out of the course of this conversation, we started kind of just in real time coming up with, well, Hey, you could do this and you could do this and then add this in. And then with that, you could do this and start tying all these things together and, pretty soon as we were talking about we were like man this is like legitimately something that we could accomplish like this isn't it, it, it we don't need credit for the idea like just get the idea out into the ether and let let uh, let someone who has the money and power and influence to go go take it on and do it and 37,000 people saw that clip so i think that's that's plenty of people to get the idea out into the ether yes yes so we just use the king Pilled twitter platform and post the video out. And then we just went and shamelessly tagged as many people as we could, who had large platforms who might be amenable to the sort of an idea and enough of them responded that it started generating a bunch of, of engagement. And, uh, and then you know, there was a bunch of us that were all in there, uh, talking to people and amplifying people and other people got on board. And so even if like, to me, this was kind of a test case for the well i guess i'll re- i'll read the tweet here real quick i guess because there's audio people who are who are listening just so you guys know what's going on so i said here's an actual strategy we can use to permanently destroy the credibility of the university system which is the credentialing mechanism and heart and soul of the regime it's simple use large language models which for those who don't know is essentially the, the ai all these different ai grok and 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 chat gbt and all these sorts of things these are all just operating off of large language models Use large language models to start auditing PhD dissertations. Then use the fraud we uncover as a pretext for nationalizing fraudulent institutions and seizing endowments as restitution. Get this clip in front of as many people as possible. So I, uh, I tweeted that out and it got 37,000 views. And the vast majority of those views came in that first day. They, it, we got it jamming for a while and got other people talking about it. And I happened to notice today that, um, on the blaze, the Prudentialist was on Oren McIntyre's show. And they were talking about precisely this subject, uh, someone, uh, it was actually, uh, uh, Trey Daniel, Trey 50, Daniel here in the chat. He's the one who tagged me and said, Hey, they're, they're live right now talking about what you were talking about. Um, so the first point I wanted to make was just that I think that the little community we've put together here is, uh, is pretty cool, both in being able to come up with this idea. All of us just sitting around talking, kind of putting our heads together and come up with something like this, that, that uh, is actually legitimately actionable and then all working together again, as a community to amplify the message, because it wouldn't take very much to get, whether it's this idea or some other idea, it wouldn't take very much to get it on say Tim pool or, uh, even like Dave Smith or. Uh, there's there's a number of very large podcasts that are just a hop, skip, and a jump away from us in internet terms. And the magic of the internet and social media in the way that it's it's beginning to to manifest is that we can do precisely this sort of thing. When you have a, a tight, focused, intentional community, like the one that we're growing over with the, in the Kingpill Discord, then you can begin to work on things like this. So it's not just a, you know, we get together on the internet to, to share memes and, and BS about life and whatever, like that, that, that part's good, that's, that's great, we have that. But I think really the future of human organization is gonna start looking a lot more like what we're doing now. This is kind of like, you know, you have remote work, you get all these people that are getting into remote work, then pretty soon what your job consists of is going from phone call to phone call to phone call to phone call. To phone call to zoom call to, to on um, uh, board meeting, you know, whatever, all of this stuff is being done remotely like this. So human communities are beginning to interact with, with each other far more on, on a, on a remote basis. But what this does is it really, really expands the possibility of what these communities can do now that we're not tethered to time and space in the same way we have been in the past. Social media has only existed for a decade, decade and a half. It's like a decade and a half basically as a real thing. It was MySpace, but like, you know, like having communities where even with MySpace, like you had to go to someone's profile page. There wasn't like a town square aspect to it the way there is with Twitter or Facebook or these other ones. The ability of something to go viral, the this incorporated dynamic of virality is something that I think we're we've we've barely experienced it. It's been around for maybe a decade. And the first people to really take advantage of it were the people who are, there's kind of kind of almost like a Cantillon effect with this sort of thing. And really that's the case with any sort of technology is at the beginning. So the Cantillon effect is basically in in simple terms, when, when uh, new money is printed, the people who get that money sooner get increased buying power relative to the people who get the money later, because it takes longer for that money to get its way out through the society. So the people who get the money, who are the closest to the bank printing the money, that money ends up being worth more to them than those same dollars are worth by the time they get to someone later, um, after multiple transactions, there's a similar dynamic with technology, with social media in this case, where the people who are closest to the people putting together the, the, the technology are the ones who are the first to become aware of the possible use cases for it. And then they're able to take advantage of that. So for the first several years of Twitter's existence as basically the core uh, town hall, public square uh, 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 role in American society, the people who are using it intentionally weaponizing it as a narrative control mechanism were the intelligence communities and their proxies in academia and the media, et cetera. But now, particularly since Elon Musk took over Twitter, it's becoming an equal opportunity mechanism where now people who are intentional about it, our guys, so to speak, can actually take advantage of the technology in the exact same way. We can use it to create our own narratives. We can use it to drive our own agendas forward. But in order to do that, we have to recognize it and then we have to be intentional about how we're doing it. We have to get people who are actually invested in doing that. Both invested in in terms of like uh like emotionally and time invested, and invested into the sense of of like actual financial investing. Like we said in the last episode, we want to have a whole bunch of Project Veritas's. We want to have a whole bunch of Chris Rufos. But that sort of thing takes both people who are willing to do it, people who have that skill set, and It takes people who are willing to fund and invest it because the Democrats have massive organizations that are explicitly dedicated toward funding this sort of of activity. Media Matters, Act Blue, the list goes on. ADL, SPLC, all these things. These are all just activist organizations that are funded by major donors explicitly for the purpose of introducing narratives and weaponizing them and controlling the public square.
1: Right. We could do this just as well if not better for zero dollars and you can only imagine how much money they're spending to make this happen right
0: because like what isn't the whole narrative supposed to be that the like congress is massively unpopular the vast majority of you have, you, have, you know the silent majority the silent majority who are all in their coom pods already but you've got the the silent majority supposedly that's out there and it's oh they they would all agree with us you know you know, like what immigration restriction is would be like popular with I don't know, like eighty percent of people. But it doesn't happen because there's no representation and there's such powerful incentives running against it. But ostensibly, there's a whole big majority of people out there who would actually be interested in and in, in, uh would go along with our ideas if we could just reach them. Well, we can reach them. You don't even need to reach the majority. You just need to reach the effective minority. But this is the way that we do it. This is the way we have to begin coordinating. Now, on... So yesterday, or, or Saturday, when this was going on, that same I, day...
1: I am going to pee my pants. I will be right okay. back.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, that or I That that's pee. Day, yeah, you know, just use one of the bathtubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I
1: How many ounces is this? Twelve ounces. That's, That's not, not enough. 100%. That's not enough. No. <laughs>
0: um, so the other day when uh, when this tweet was going on, uh, I came across this tweet from this guy named Bill Ackman. And I didn't. I kind of had seen him around a little bit. I didn't know exactly who he was. Um, was just. Uh, uh, you know, I'd seen him as being vaguely associated with whatever's going on in Harvard. And he tweeted that this tweet that I'm not going to read this whole thing to you guys. Um, because actually let's go look at his Wikipedia here first, just so you guys get an idea of who he actually is. So this is Bill Ackman, uh, born May 11, 1966. He's an American billionaire hedge fund manager who is the founder and CEO of Pershing Square Capital Management, a hedge fund management company. His investment approach has made him an activist investor. As of January 2024, his net worth was estimated at $4 billion by Forbes. So he is of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. Uh, he went to Harvard, uh, has his MBA from Harvard Business School. Uh, the important stuff, so he's, he's actually got kind of an interesting interesting history. He's done a lot of, uh, um, he, 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 hes he's an interesting guy so just go read his read his wikipedia um the interest the 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 most important relevant stuff here is let's see it says that his most successful investments have always been controversial and that his first rule of activist investing is to quote make a bold call that nobody believes in there's your investing advice just make a bold call that nobody believes in this is not actually investment advice please don't hold me responsible for that his most notable market plays include shorting MBIA's bonds during the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008, his proxy fight with Canadian Pacific Royal, Railway, and his stakes in Target, Valiant Pharmaceuticals, and Chipotle. Uh, from 2012 to 2018, he held a $1 billion short against the nutrition company Herbalife, a company he has described as a pyramid scheme designed as a multi-level marketing firm. That's particularly funny to me because... And if, if, if uh, Samoa Bob is still here in the chat, he'll appreciate that uh, we are both... Uh, diehard LA Galaxy fans, LA Galaxy's, uh, uh, shirt sponsor is Herbalife. Nobody likes it, including literally every LA Galaxy fan. Nobody wants to be sponsored by Herbalife. That's this is not relevant to you guys at all. But it, I just wanted to shout out uh, Andrew if he's still out there. Um, so uh, after a week performance in 2015 to 2018, he told investors in January 2018 that he was going to go back to basics by cutting staff, ending investor visits that were eating into his time and hunkering down to the office to do research. The next year, Pershing Square returned 58.1%, which Reuters says qualified it as, quote, one of the world's best performing hedge funds for 2019. Uh, So then he is also, so he's a signatory to the giving pledge, committing himself to give away at least 50% of his wealth by the end of his life to charitable causes. He's given to charitable causes, such as the Center for Jewish History, where he spearheaded a successful effort to retire $30 million in debt, personally, personally contributing $6.8 million. Uh, it was one of the three largest individual gifts the center has ever received. He has donated $1.1 $1. 1 million to the Innocence Project. Uh, he and his wife founded the Pershing Square Foundation to support innovation in economic development, education, healthcare, human rights, arts, and urban development. In other words, it is a, uh, an NGO that is a vehicle for them to manage their taxes. Um, the foundation is a major donor to Planned Parenthood. Since its inception, the foundation has committed more than $400 million in grants since 2006, um, then, uh, sports equipment for those with physical disabilities. The part that I wanted to highlight down here was this here. So personal views. It says, um, okay. first of all, uh, he was a supporter of David M. Sabatini, a biologist who was previously fired by the Howard Hughes Medical Institute and resigned from the Whitehead Institute and MIT due to allegations and investigations of sexual misconduct. And uh, so he delivered remarks at this event about his unfair treatment. And then in February of 2023, Ackman announced that his foundation and an anonymous donor would together fund Sabatini $25 million over five years to establish and run a new research laboratory. The thing I want to point out with these types of guys is they, you'll see as we go a little bit further down here, and you can probably see on the screen there already, he's, from what I've read so far, he seems like a regular, ordinary, just Democrat, dyed-in-the-wool, supporting all the appropriate Democrat causes, yada, yada, yada. However, he has taken some specific stances that very much remove him from being easily categorized as just another in the form of this the the neocon boomer or like the neo the 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 uh center left to center right kind of uh neocon neo-lib boomer millennial sort of uh the mentality that has dominated our institutions for generations now. Because He, in 2021, he supported Kyle Rittenhouse's self-defense claim while the criminal trial was ongoing. His prediction of an acquittal proved to be accurate. I don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago, being someone publicly on the record defending Kyle Rittenhouse was not a, an acceptable thing whatsoever. You got tarred and feathered if you even like remotely tried to defend him. It was an explicitly, rabidly, ideologically right-wing only position to hold. That's a significant thing. Another one. Uh, in November, Ackman defended Elon Musk after the latter expressed disagreement with a user who asserted—this is a little of a convoluted convoluted sentence. I'll kind of parse it. So uh, Elon Musk expressed agreement with a user who asserted that, quote, Jewish communities, quote, supported hordes of minorities flooding their country and pushed dialectical hatred against whites. So the user said Jewish communities support hordes of minorities flooding their country and Jewish communities are pushing dialectical hatred against whites. Elon Musk expressed agreement with that and Ackman defended Elon Musk expressing agreement with that. Ackman himself is Ashkenazi and he's married to an Israeli woman. So this guy's already kind of, there are a couple small things, but he's kind of breaking the mold a bit. In October, so this is this is now the thing that really got him on my radar, and this is why he's a, a, a subject of interest now. So in October 2023, following the onset of the 2023 Israel-Hamas war, several Harvard undergraduate student groups signed a letter condemning the Israeli state. The statement held that the Israeli regime, it held the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all unfolding violence, yada, 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 yada. In response, Ackman called for the publication of the names of all students involved in signing the letter, so that he can ensure his company and others do not inadvertently hire any of the signatories. So he's mad that these uh, these students are pro Hamas, and so he wants to make sure that he doesn't hire any of them. Um, what I what I'm noticing here is that, like, this is not while he may be in on this particular issue ideolo- ideologically aligned with the boomer generation, the Zionist boomer generation that's dying off. He goes about it in a very different way. This is much more vengeful son type energy than it is the the boomer devouring mother energy where these students come out and they're protesting against a cause that and he doesn't like the cause they're protesting on behalf of. So he says, please give me a list of your names so I never hire you. This is much more characteristic of the... Uh, uh, more, I guess, honestly, I think it's more authentic gen X spirit, the more renegade vengeful son type spirit, which is going to go directly to war with you rather than try to smile and shake hands for the cameras and go to war behind your back, he's going to bring it both guns blazing, no matter how he feels about it. This is a change. This is, this guy's much more of a gen X. I think he's actually Gen X probably but he's he he embodies that spirit much more than the billionaires who are dying off ahead of him. The foxes? Yes. He's much he he is at least beginning to uh to show some of this more lion-like energy. Yeah. versus the the subversive fox-like energy. Um he and i think i don't think any of the rest of this is relevant so so that kind of gives you an idea of who david ackman is oh here also um he endorsed michael bloomberg as a prospective candidate for president in 2016 again it's it's kind of it it's it's definitely boomerish to support someone like bloomberg however at the time the idea of supporting some sort of a of a, a um like, Bloomberg was not a popular candidate. So someone supporting Bloomberg either is directly financially involved in it, which, which he could be, or um, is already someone who doesn't feel particularly beholden to the existing regime, as it were. Uh, he's a longtime donor to Democratic candidates and organizations, including Richard Blumenthal, Chuck Schumer, Robert Menendez, the DNC, and the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a... You see that donor list and you think, okay, well, this guy's just a, just a, there's nothing remotely unique or special about him. But I contend, even before getting into what we're about to get into, I contend that being publicly outspoken in favor of, of the, the innocence of Kyle Rittenhouse and publicly agreeing with Elon Musk um, on something that is generally seen as extremely anti-Semitic, these are things that already make him stand out as being somewhat—he's different. He's different than the rest of the the um, cabal of of whatever uh, mediocre people who make up the uh, existing regime. Um, so as I, I'm I'm a little less solid exactly on the the exact details of what's happened since then. It's not super relevant. I didn't have time to go read about all of it. Basically this whole, his involvement in Harvard has turned into a hoopla because, and my understanding of it, if somebody knows better as this looked into this more than I have great, uh, you can say it in the chat and I'll incorporate it here. But my understanding is, uh, there are certain media organizations who have been, um, there is kind of a, uh, the left is split between the pro Hamas and the pro Israel side. And so some of the pro Hamas people are mad at him for being pro Israel. And so they they were going after him. So he supported the Harvard president being removed from her position for plagiarism. Then a uh, business insider published an article accusing his wife of plagiarism on her dissertation. And they pulled the same scheme that they always pull. This time they did it with a billionaire and he's pissed off. They got an activist billionaire pissed off by going after his wife. they, um, what I gather, the gist that I gathered from from skimming some of his tweets is that they sent them a, uh, a long email asking for comment on the story 90 minutes before it was going to be published, and then published the email in framing it in the most, uh, uh, like the worst terms possible for him and his wife, and then when they responded to the email defending themselves, Then they republished it saying something like, like they said, uh, that thing. Yeah. That thing you, you highlighted that was wrongly, uh, misattributed. Um, it was a mistake and she fixed it. They, oh, he admits she admits to plagiarizing. Um, so now we have a billionaire who's getting treated with the same playbook that they've used on all of the normal plebs. The billionaires don't want that playbook used against them. The billionaires pay a lot of money to make sure that that playbook doesn't get used against them. Now they've used that playbook against him and he's out for blood. He is not happy at all. Yeah, as, as, as Jason says, he's in the civilizational frame, not the tribal frame. It puts him in play. <clears throat> so um, this was the tweet that he posted the same day that we posted that that video clip. And like I said, I'm not going to read. Like, seriously, this is the longest tweet I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's a freaking, a freaking novel. It's still going. <laughs> it's still going. It's still going. Okay. Oh, continues below. Oh, my God. This is the first time I've, I've scrolled down to it. He literally typed this whole thing and then said continues below and kept going. <laughs> uh, but the gist of this is right here. Um, last night, so he found out that the, the mole, the person who had leaked the information about the, the thing with his wife's, uh, dissertation is someone from MIT. So there's someone from MIT trying to go to war with him. He says, last night, no one at MIT had a good night's sleep. Yesterday evening, shortly after I posted that we were launching a plagiarism review of all current MIT faculty, president Kornbluth, members of MIT's administration and its board, I'm sure that an audible collective gasp could be heard around the campus. Why? Well, every faculty member knows that once their work is targeted by AI, they will be outed. No body of written work in academia can survive the power of AI searching for missing quotation marks, failures to paraphrase appropriately, appropriately, and or the failure to properly credit the work of others. But it wasn't just the MIT faculty that did not sleep last night. The Harvard faculty, its governing board members, and its administrative leadership did not sleep either. Because why would we stop at MIT? Don't we have to do a deep dive into academic integrity at Harvard as well? What about Yale, Princeton, Stanford, Penn, Dartmouth? You get the point. While we are going to do a detailed review of plagiarism at MIT, we are not going to be the only ones who do so. Every college and university in the world is going to have to do the same for themselves. They will do so because they will need to validate all plagiarism accusations or someone else will do it for them. The best approach, however, is probably to launch an AI startup to do this job. I would be interested in investing in one as there is plenty of work to do and many institutions won't have the resources to do it on their own. Perhaps more importantly, the donors are going to demand that the review is done by an independent third party. For who today is going to trust higher education to review itself? And he goes on. Now, I can already hear the standard... uh, (laughs) Tyler James said shortest leftist meme. (laughs) That's right. Um, I I can already hear... The, the standard uh cry from all of the the uh the 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 so-called right-wing dissidents who want to say oh he's not a friend a J is always a J he's always going to be loyal to the J's he's um he's just interested in trying to reform Academia he just wants to save Academia he doesn't want to burn it to the ground he's not a friend yada 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 and what I'm here to say today is you guys have got to get this poverty mindset out of you. This is a virus in your brain that you have to extract. You have to get this pathetic black pilled doomer mindset out of your head because it is the single biggest barrier to us actually making a positive advance in the culture. a move toward actually forming, creating, inventing, taking over, whatever you want to say to a legitimate polity that we can control or that we can control more than the one we have now there's this there's this deep libertarian streak that runs through the existing right-wing thought sphere that says anything short of the perfect solution isn't good enough and we should dedicate all of our energy to shitting all over it (laughs) Mm -hmm. you guys are libertarians yeah, how's that this, feel? <laughs> this is this is Guneckry. You're not just libertarians. You're Gunecks. Yeah, you
1: are. I can't think of a more Jewish ideology than libertarianism. How ironic.
0: <laughs> you're right. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> the Jason said, "Let's make Vengeful Sun Inc. happen." Yeah, that'd be that'd that'd be a pretty pretty good name, Vengeful Sun Inc. <laughs> You guys, you guys have got to see a fucking gift when it's looking at you. You have a pissed off activist billionaire who wants to lay waste to the universe. Say whatever you want about how, you know, oh, he just wants to preserve it. He just wants to, he just wants to, to, uh, uh, to try to purify it. He wants to reform it, whatever. Take his money and use it to destroy them. I don't because think you need tanks in Harvard yard. No.
1: Like, like, yeah, okay, no. I, I, yeah, ideal, ideal outcome would be all these things are just burned, burned to the ground. But, mm-hmm. okay, until you have Red Caesar to do that, or like, even whatever, that's never gonna happen. But, like, if nobody takes the institution seriously,
0: then you've effectively achieved the same outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. Right now, there is a war happening within academia. They are yeah. fighting themselves. There's two wings, broadly speaking, within academia. Those who've realized that it's been turned against the, this is this is Pornell's law. Again, you have the people in academia who actually believe in academia and believe in its what it ostensibly stands for. And then you have the people who are in academia so that they can use it as a cudgel against people and to advance their own career. And these people are now going to go to war with each other. We are at war with both of them. So if they're going to go to war with each other, that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us for, for a whole bunch of reasons. It's a good thing for us because now that we have two, two of our enemies fighting each other, then we can goad them against each other. Like a plagiarism audit for all major universities would be catastrophic for the existing regime infrastructure because what is a plagiarism audit going to get? It's not just going to get plagiarism. It's also going to get, it's it's going to highlight just how mediocre and uncreative and unproductive the vast majority of these people are. It will comprehensively deconstruct the legitimacy of a degree as right. a credential.
1: See how, like, imagine how this, this plays out or think of ways this could play. Like, what if a Supreme Court justice has a fraudulent Mm -hmm.
0: degree. Yes. You know? Or a senator or the president. Yep. 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 These are all different different potential attack surfaces. Like, the goal here is to sow chaos among the enemy.
1: And we don't actually care about the plagiarism.
0: Yeah. Right, yeah. I don't don't give a shit about the plagiarism. It's just a pretext. Yes, exactly. It's just a pretext. This was actually something that I started getting replies from people. Um, in this tweet who were uh, a bunch of more dorky libertarians who were like complaining, Oh, you, you're going to nationalize the Institute. Nationalization is bad. They're already effectively nationalized, you know? Right. Right. Like formalize it, formalize it. Right. Right. Formalize it. And even if we don't get to that point, you're using this as a marketing thing. You don't have to like, you've got to extract yourself from this ideological lens that you view everything through. Because the entire purpose of this is that you want to be able to, if you attach student loan forgiveness to university audits, if you take these ideas and you smash them together in people's minds, then all of the NPCs are gonna be like, university audit, university audit. The actual thing that happens doesn't matter. When you're in a position where you're, you're operating as the underdog, Your your victory threshold, number one, is pretty low. For something to to constitute a victory, you don't have to accomplish a lot. And then you take one victory and you stack another one on it, and then you stack another and another and another, and you start getting the victories compounding. But additionally, in this particular case, it's not like, okay, we need to make sure that we have the exact policy plan outlined ahead of time. First, we're going to do this thing, and then we're going to enact this particular policy, and we're going to make sure that that policy is absolutely ironclad so nobody can work around it. And you retards. This is not how you go about this sort of thing. Who cares if we're actually going to nationalize it or not or seize the endowments or not? Who cares if that's actually going to happen? It doesn't actually need to happen. It's just a pretext to make the idea of auditing the universities politically palatable. And if we actually get to the point where we could have a legitimate conversation about whether or not Texas is going to step in and seize the endowments of its universities, wouldn't you rather live in that world than the one you live in now? Just get ourselves to the point where we can even have that conversation. But every time there's an opportunity like this, the whole narrative all turns into like we've got we've got the two major factions in the left fighting each other, and the right is fighting each other over them fighting each other. That's <sighs> so dumb. <laughs> you you're being given a golden opportunity. You can take advantage of the opportunity, and it doesn't have to be the fatal blow. The one single blow doesn't have to be the fatal blow. Start accumulating these. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: As Ryan Isaac says, they're arguing over that and a calendar. Other like bitching about e-thoughts or something. Right. Guys, as one of our friends in the Discord said the other day, and I thought this was a really brilliant distinction that he drew, you got to start thinking like a statesman and less like a politician. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Speaking of that, um, well, so the, the tweet I was going to say, so I, I – uh, I had to attach this tweet onto the other one because the replies I was getting, I said, getting a bunch of stock libertarian complaints about nationalizing institutions. You guys got to catch up, man. The actual win state is publicly humiliating and discrediting the university system as a staple institution of public life. Anything that accomplishes that is a win for the cause. I mean, now you got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. (sighs) Like you got to recognize, okay, so this is one step. This is one front to go to war on we're going to do battle. We're going to we're going to we're going to try to humiliate the universities. That's not the that's not the 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 ultimate end state though. The ultimate end state isn't humiliate the universities and magically we're going to have the 1950s. That doesn't mean that humiliating the universities isn't a worthy cause to de- to dedicate resources to. The reason why the American left has been so comprehensively successful is because they're willing to accept small wins when they get them. And then they build on them. They string them together. They yeah, will they cap- blow billions of dollars to get For- a little narrative win.
1: Yep. And once they capture that hill, then they move to the next one and then right yes. to the next one. They don't, they don't stop advancing.
0: Yes. Constantly advancing, constantly taking ground and meanwhile right wingers are fighting over whether it, like i think i think there's this latent like the conservative impulse to look for risk and try to, and like like be overly obsessed with risk tolerance and trying to evaluate potential externalities or that sort of thing which is fine that's great do it productively not in this like peanut gallery like oh your plan's going to fail cuz there's this thing that could happen oh this is a stupid idea cuz that thing could happen
1: it reminds me of uh Oh, I believe it was Moldbug, who was—he was, he was illustrating exactly this, but using the Civil War to describe how the South, at one point after mm-hmm. s- winning a significant battle, was like a twenty-four-hour walk away from DC. Mm-hmm. But they were fighting for succession, whereas the North was fighting to win. Yes. So they didn't, they didn't make the, they didn't make the walk to DC. Mm-hmm. If they'd been fighting to win, that would have been the next
0: move. Yes. I, I think that there's, this is going to be, this isn't going to win us any friends with a lot of people, but I'm just going to be honest. I think that there's an excessive mythologizing of the South. Mm-hmm. There's, there's There was very good things about the South. If I'd been alive at the time if I was going to fight and I lived in the South, I would have fought for the South. I think that's, I like Southern culture. I like the values. I like the things that I like that, the, that racist Americana. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the best parts of it. Thing is that like that, that wasn't something exclusive to the South. Like it was all over. That's kind of like the, so the problem is that the South lost and they didn't, they didn't lose because. Like, it wasn't unfair that they lost. They lost because they legitimately got beaten because they weren't fighting the right game. They weren't fighting the right war. They weren't playing the right game. They got outmaneuvered and overpowered because they weren't fighting to win. They were fighting to be left alone. And what do we know about the people who fight to be left alone? They will always lose to the people who fight to win. You've got to get the like fighting to be left alone thing. You got to get that out of your head. That's the libertarianism talking. Yeah. The idea that we need to have one <laughs> big, like it's like we have one bullet to fire and we have to pick exactly the right time to fire that bullet to make sure that we, we get the boss square between the eyes. No, you got you to use the bullet and then you got to find another one. And if you have to create a whole new weapon, create a whole new weapon then. But at the very least, when you're given a kill shot on a silver platter, you got to jump at it. This whole, the way that everybody responded to this Harvard thing probably blew the opportunity for the way that the Harvard thing could have been capitalized on. It could have been, you could have capitalized on using it as a pretext for like take it seriously. Oh yeah. Oh wow. She plagiarized. Oh my goodness. Can you believe that? Oh man, we should we should audit the universities to make sure that none of these people are are lying their way to the top. You know, these these universities are very important and very key to our success. We should make sure that we're we need we need to make sure that these are very noble, good upstanding universities. They're, you know, they're associated with the greatness of the American history and capitalize on it no instead everybody just argued about like about how the Jews were going to benefit from the whole thing there's this this like idolatry of the tribe that no matter what happens it can't be good news it's only bad news it's all doom and gloom because you know look at look at how the tribe is benefiting from this new scheme look how massive and powerful they are there's nothing we can do to stop them yeah as two-bit
1: says war of attrition is greater than kill shots because yes. The people who are fighting to win don't care that you want to be left alone. Uh-huh.
0: In fact, that's why they want to win. They can sense that you're pathetic and that you deserve to be ruled. Because if yeah, you just want to be left alone, you deserve to be ruled. It's like prey mentality. Uh-huh. I think that's exactly what it is. If you're like, I just want to be left alone, that's prey mentality. And they're predators. They can smell the prey. So when you have this whole like, oh, we just need to be left alone thing, you're advertising for them. You're like, you're it's like blood in the water for sharks. You're advertising for them to come after you. So there's another guy that we wanted to highlight here today, who I think embodies exactly the type of energy that we need.
1: I want him to be Red Caesar.
0: Yes. He's so much. Thank you for reminding me. Um just to kind of highlight the, 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 the happening that is happening, um, where is that here? It was on, ah, crap, uh, something that, that uh, Bill Ackman tweeted. He, uh, it was actually some, something someone else tweeted, and then Bill Ackman retweeted it. But this shows that the energy is building. Let me scroll, 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 scroll um oh his wife went on uh, uh lex friedman recently so uh lex is capitalizing on that to make sure that he gets uh more attention to his show which uh i can't good on stand him. lex friedman well, i mean yeah good for him but <laughs> it's least interesting person i've ever seen <laughs> yeah no kidding uh this one so this guy here, Robert Sterling, don't even know who this guy is. Don't care that much. Uh, CFO investor and sneakerhead, former fortune 100 MNA and USMC yada, yada, yada. He says going after bill Ackman's wife is one of the dumbest moves I've ever seen. MIT and business insider don't understand the force of nature. That's about to come after them. This guy literally beat out Brad Pitt competing for his wife while you were losing sleep over not having toilet paper during COVID. He was making 2.6 billion shorting the entire economy. The dude is just built different. Ackman is righteously pissed off. He's motivated. He's rich as fuck. And he's got some of the best research analysts in the world working for him. I worked in military intelligence and DOD slash IC analysts don't come close to wall street short sellers. When it comes to autistically meticulous research, <laughs> you think gen Z clickbait journalists and MIT deans are more, more comfortable in chemistry labs than intense boardroom proxy fights are ready for a guy like this. Once he gets on the war path. Yeah. Right. And a, a picture of Bill Ackman as Caesar and uh bill ackman retweeted that he said welcome to the posse let's roll so that's the energy that these guys are projecting that's the energy that's in the air i like it (coughs) right we don't need bill ackman to be our guy in order to use him to promote this energy for us which the next guy we're going to talk about i think is after that bill ackman money yes he answered this this is actually how i got into this so Mm. bill ackman had his big long tweet that he uh that he put out i read the beginning of it and uh martin shkreli replied to this and says yeah i could do this pretty easily in other words meaning setting up the uh the, the the plagiarism audit uh software approach um so a little bit of background for those of you who don't know on Martin Shkreli, let me close some tabs here and zoom in on here a little bit so it's easier to read. And let's share the screen. So Martin Shkreli, you may have heard of him before. He may have kind of fallen off the radar for most people because he spent several years in federal prison. He uh, was once considered the most unpopular man in the world. Uh, He's called a pharma bro. He's the guy who, with uh, Turing Pharmaceuticals, in September of 2015, he was widely criticized when his company, uh, he's co-founder and CEO of Turing Pharmaceuticals, obtained the manufacturing license for the anti-parasitic drug Daraprim and raised its price by 5,455%. In 2017, he was charged and convicted in federal court on two counts of securities fraud and one count of conspiracy for activity unrelated to the Daraprim controversy. He was sentenced to seven years in prison and up to $7.4 million in fines. In the civil antitrust case, he was fined a further $64.6 million to be repaid to victims. He was released May 18, 2022 from the low security federal prison that he was in. He was born uh, to Albanian immigrant parents. His parents were Roman Catholic, and he said his religion has been a guiding post for him, although he does not believe in God. His parents immigrated to the US and worked as janitors. He and his two sisters and his brother grew up in a working class community in Brooklyn, uh, was raised Catholic, and attended uh, Sunday school as a kid. Then he uh, ended up getting a bachelor's in business administration and developed an interest in chemistry when a family member suffered from treatment-resistant depression. In during, uh, Shkreli's time at Kramer Berkowitz and company, he recommended short selling the stock of Regeneron. That's funny. I didn't notice this earlier. Remember, remember that video that the, uh, the Lincoln project made of Trump talking about Regeneron uh-huh. and they just made him look awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize that connection here. Uh, so he recommended short selling that the stock of Regeneron, a biotech company, testing a weight loss drug when it's price dropped in accordance with Shkreli's prediction the hedge fund profited. Um, so he went into, he worked as a financial analyst for a while, um, uh, shorting biotech companies, was involved in a bunch of different things here. So uh, then he, he founded Retrofin, which is a portmanteau of recombinant dystrophin, um, and ran it as a portfolio company with an emphasis on biotechnology to create treatments for rare diseases. <laughs> Uh, he was chosen for the Forbes 30 under 30 in November of 2013. They later regretted it, placing him in, in the hall of shame, the list of 10, notably bad picks Uh, then, uh, scrolling down a little bit further, uh, he's described as a brilliant intellect visionary, but someone who's called a pied Piper and a guy was worried about not always getting straight answers from him, called him intelligent, but too immature and unfocused for the job of CEO. So then with Turing Pharmaceuticals, he uh, founded it in Feb- February of 2015. It, he launched it with three drugs in development acquired from Retrofen, an intranasal, ver- intranasal version of ketamine for depression, an intranasal version of oxytocin, and v for hypertension. He set a business strategy for Turing to obtain licenses on out of patent medicines and reevaluate the pricing of each in pursuit of windfill profits for the new company without the need to develop and bring its own drugs to market. As markets for out of patent drugs are often small and obtaining regulatory approval to manufacture a generic version is expensive, Turing calculated that with closed distribution for the product and no competition, it could set high prices. This is reading from Wikipedia. Uh, So they acquired Daraprim and for $55 million. Its most prominent use as of late 2015 was as an anti-malarial and an anti-parasitic in conjunction with these other things to treat patients with both AIDS-related and AIDS-unrelated toxoplasmosis. Now you guys get the joke that I told earlier today about us having AIDS. Uh, The patent had expired, but no generic version was available. So as I understand this, essentially, he acquired this, and they changed took the price for this uh, out of patent drug from 1350 to 750 generated a ton of money, and essentially, um, I, I kind of sound like a moron because I have no idea what I'm talking about. But the the gist of the idea here is is they use this strategy to basically kickstart R and D and to make this drug widely available again. It was because it was out of patent. It was um, uh, essentially there wasn't there there it was it was suffering relative to the market. And by taking this approach, they could both make a ton of money and um, ensure that more people got access to the drug. Um, later on, it, it, it described how he, um, the majority of the stuff is just paid for by insurance anyway. So he's just making a bunch of money off of the off of insurance companies. And uh, yeah, Trey 50 Daniels says they bought the license to the generic drug and raised the price to be able to kickstart a better version of the drug. And... Um, they also, uh, like, they made they pledged that nobody was ever going to be able to to not get the drug because they couldn't afford it, and yada yada yada. So like, there was no actual there there. There was no issue. But this was 2017. This was when Bernie Sanders was at his peak or was 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 on the on the upswing, and the whole SJW thing and the oppression Olympics and all this stuff was just starting. So he got. It was actually 2015. So. Uh, he became the focus of all of that ire. He became kind of like the icon of anti-worship for these people because he represented all of the evil of of billionaires and 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 uh, million millionaires and billionaires who are gonna uh, uh, screw everybody else out. And in particular, he's screwing the AIDS people because now the AIDS people can't get their drugs. Um. So I haven't actually read about his court case with uh, his uh, securities fraud and all of that. I don't know exactly what went into that. Um, I know that he was accused of basically um, uh, uh, conducting a Ponzi scheme. But uh, some of the evidence that was put forth indicated that none of of his supposed victims ever actually lost any money. So maybe he just was really, it was a really, 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 it was either a really, really good or really, really bad Ponzi scheme if none of the people actually lost money. Some of them actually made money off of it. In either case, it's mighty suspicious that all of this hullabaloo happened, and then all of a sudden he got, like, massively prosecuted over uh, a a Ponzi scheme. In the course of it, he was—so a couple other things that he was known for um, uh, is—the guy's hilarious— uh, a couple other things he was known for is, one, buying a... I'm trying to scroll down to find the exact details. He's an avid League of Legends player. Uh, okay, here. So he won an auction for the Wu-Tang Clan album, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, after a single copy of the album was sold in November 2015. He paid $2 million for it. In October of 2016, he... Uh, he said on his Twitter account that he would release the album for free download if Donald Trump won the 2016 U.S. presidential election. He would destroy the album if Hillary Clinton won. When Trump became the president-elect, he shared the intro in one track. He wound up having to, uh, the U.S. government, uh, a federal court seized the assets belonging to him worth $7.6 million, including Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. So he uh, he lost it because of that. Um, he started dating the chick, the reporter for Bloomberg news who broke the news of his arrest in 2015. Um, they, I think they actually got married, but I don't, it doesn't say so here. Um, one of the other things he kind of got in trouble for that was funny was, uh, <laughs> on February 13, 2017, his bail was revoked following a Facebook post offering $5,000 for a strand of Hillary Clinton's hair. <laughs> which the judge perceived as solicitation to assault, which is not protected under the First Amendment. Shkreli's post was preceded by others that suggested he might have plans to clone Hillary Clinton. <laughs> he said that his post was satire, and his lawyer described it as tasteless but not a threat. Um, uh, he apologized for the post and was ultimately uh, sentenced. Um, and then, what was the... I thought that was one other funny thing related to him pleading the fifth maybe that was oh yeah 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 he uh when he was he was brought before congress it's right there oh here it is yeah uh so he testified before congress and he invoked the fifth um in response to every question from committee members except for two one from Representative Trey Gowdy to confirm the pronunciation of his last name, and another from Representative Elijah Cummings to affirm he was listening. <laughs> he also refused to answer even seemingly trivial questions outside the subject matter of the hearing, including those pertaining to his purchase of a Wu Tang Clan album. Um, <laughs> so he was—he's <clears throat> done a lot of like. Uh, Uh, like he live streams, he's, he did this in the past and he does it. Now he has live streams, He's very active as like a, like a kind of content creator personality online, uh, very funny on Twitter. So, oh, this is the other thing I was thinking of here. (laughs) If you don't know what he looks like, you got to see the picture here. He's got just the most perfect, like shit eating grin of all time. And he capitalizes on it. He, this was in 2016. Pharma bro, Martin Shkreli, the most hated man in America, the man who raised the price of a life-saving drug 500% in a day, who paid $2 million for the sole copy of a new Wu-Tang Clan album and threatened to destroy it so no one else could listen, is giving the people what they want. On Tuesday night, Shkreli tweeted that he's raffling off the opportunity for someone to slap or punch him in the face for a good cause. (laughs) And the cause being uh, he was raising money for his former publicist son who's recovering from leukemia. So he's, he's actually like if you kind of read between the lines, you can see that he's, uh, he's very very intelligent. He's very much one of our guys with respect to the media and the government, etc. Um, he also is a very generous person. He's very, um, I mean, like like doing this sort of thing, like okay i'm going to capitalize on people want to punch me so here i'll raise money for you to punch me and the money's going to go to my friend um to pay for the son with leukemia um and even the the like he says he get he got into into to, to biochemistry in the first place because of a relative who had uh was suffering from depression or something like that and you can like his approach here is actually uh there's actually a compassionate aspect to it where he's gonna take these drugs, these really important drugs that there isn't a financial incentive existing right now to actually continue developing on them and he's gonna make it happen. So there's he's, he's a very interesting character. What I wanted to, uh, to point out though, this is now that you guys kind of understand the background, number one, he responded to uh, Bill Ackman and said he could definitely do something like that, and he's already starting to work on something. Uh, so actually, let's talk about that here first, and then we'll get into the kind of the larger conversation. So he tweeted, which one is these? Um, I think uh, this one here. Come on. So he's working on a bibliometric software. He's calling it ivorytower.ai. And here's the things it would do. It would detect plagiarism, he says, which is not that exciting. Oh, it would he's be, an
1: accelerationist. Oh, Interesting.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. The little, uh, uh the E, I think E. Effective, effectual? It, it's effective or engineered. I can't remember. It might be, yeah, I think it might be effective. Effective acceleration. I'm... Um, So this, this, uh, software that he's working on ivory tower, it would detect plagiarism, which is kind of like, it's not that exciting. Uh, it would be openly accessible to consumers warmer. It would explain papers in natural language. There are others doing this, but not that well. And most importantly, a novel, it would try to determine if a paper or a researcher's corpus is actually novel and moving the field forward, establish rank, cert, and alert on those. He says, plagiarism is base level academic crime. The bigger and more subtle problems, the inability for most workers to produce meaningful work and for us to read it. A few review papers a year, a handful of uninspiring experiments replicating the latest topic in the field. These are what they most are doing, biomedical or not. And this is like, I, he could not be more right. This is the, the, uh, the, the competency crisis in academia is, is getting really bad like Peter Thiel's pointed out how we've done we've advanced since the 1970s basically all the advancements that we've had have come in the the world of bits and not the world of atoms say we will about Eric Weinstein but he one of the really interesting points that he made is that if you take any picture today of a room take the screens out of it and then evaluate whether or not that picture was taken in the 80s or today it would be hard if you're just looking at it because basically anything that didn't come from a screen isn't isn't behind a screen hasn't been innovated on we've talked about this uh in our uh, our, our flat earth uh forays and i've continued um learning some more stuff about this and I'm I'm I got to say I'm not being persuaded toward the standard globe model but uh, maybe that's a conversation for another day. Um I think that there's our, our good friend David Gronowski has talked about this that science is starting to kind of get a bad rap. People are starting to associate science with a um it, 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 it's kind of disparaging. It oh science. They're 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 kind of starting to err on the other side of the people who make science and religion a dialectic. They're starting to err on the side where you're throwing out science altogether. The original scientists were theologians. Science is a theological discipline. Scientific innovation is a religious exercise, or it ought to be. I think it fundamentally is. But part of academia being so corrupted is that the entire field of science itself has been steered off toward a cliff. And that presents a fantastic opportunity for people who are clever and people who have the resources to invest in projects like this one. This one is not um, necessarily advancing science directly, although I would, be, software development is in a sense, but if it can... Sufficiently shake up academia, which I think it very much would, then that would be a net good for all of us. So much of scientific research now gets bogged down in you know grant applications and uh, peer review processes and all this. And this is part of the superstructure of the regime. So if we can throw a grenade into that and knock it haywire, I'm all for it. I think this is the positive side of Vengeful Sun energy. This could be the next Gamergate kind of deal. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is yeah, this is the same thing that 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 Gamergate started. It's, you know, Gamergate almost led directly to Trump. Trump was capitalizing on Gamergate energy. So this kind of I like this guy's spirit. We didn't go through all the list of things the the list of industries he's been banned from being a part of and all of the fines that he was forced to pay all all of the the sheer volume of assets and stuff that were that were seized from him and the dude spent like like five years four or five years in prison when he was in prison he got in trouble because he had a contraband cell phone and he was running a business company from out there and he like fired his, his his ceo or something he, he fired, he was hiring and firing people and running the company from prison. And apparently it's illegal to run a company from prison and it's illegal to have a phone in prison. And uh, so he got put in solitary confinement for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets out of, of, of all the people in the world, of all the people in the world who would have the right to have a vendetta and to be blackpilled, to just be like, now guys don't don't fuck with them. Look what happened to me. Look how look, look what I lost. You know, I flew too close to the sun. I got taken down. You guys don't want to go through what I went through. It's not worth it guys. Don't go after them. They're too powerful. They've got too much going on. You're going to wind up at the bottom of a river. This guy had millions of dollars seized from him was put through a public ritual humiliation process. Went through a private humiliation process. Is a felon for the rest of his life and everything that's associated with that. Has been banned from multiple major industries. He can't get involved in, um, I think he would have to apply for readmission to be able to, um, uh, what industry was it? Something related to... Like
1: finance and securities or whatever?
0: Yeah, something something related to securities. He would have to apply for readmission to that. He's been banned from being involved in pharmaceutical, um, in a pharmaceutical company of any kind. There was a couple others that he's been legally banned for life from being a part of. This guy would have a right to be blackpilled. And yet, here's what he's he's, uh, he's up to today. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, this guy's so much fun. So he gets a text from a friend of his. His friend um, says, uh, sorry to bother you today. Or, or no, sorry. His, his friend said, uh, yo, Martin, sorry to bother, but got this text today. Never interacted with Meaty before, so not sure. But should I just ghost them? The text that he got reads as follows. Hey, so-and-so, sorry to bother you today. My name is Noah Kirsch. Quite the name. And I'm a reporter at the Daily Beast. Uh-huh, of course you are. I noticed that Martin Shkreli is scheduled to speak at the Crypto Club, and I was curious to hear more about that. Any chance you'd have a few minutes to chat? Assuming you're over 18, that is. Thanks. I have a feeling that this uh, th- this uh, reporter, I kind of sense that he's had to ask the are you over 18 question more than once, if you catch my drift. Uh, so this guy asks Martin Shkreli. Martin Shkreli says, completely ignore him, don't even respond. And so he tweeted that screenshot of that conversation out Martin did. And he said, talking at Brooklyn tech tomorrow, one of my crosstown rivals growing up Stuyvesant was the other fond memories of talking to the brightest kids in NYC. So he's going to go talk to a, to a bunch of high school kids. He says daily beast. You're not invited to the main event. However, I will offer you an exclusive opportunity to lick my balls immediately afterward. And he tagged Noah Kirsch. Then a little bit of time goes by and he tweets out the, the thing about ivory tower. And then he finds out, uh, he says, when the Daily Beast calls the uh, New York City Department of Education cha- chancellor and forces Brooklyn Tech High School to cancel a group meeting for high school students. He said, good job, Noah curse. Some 16-year-olds won't be able to get the event they wanted. Motherfuckers, I will host a parade in Brooklyn on a Harambe float in front of the DOE building. You don't know me. <laughs> and he goes on to then detail his DM conversation that he has with Noah Kirsch. He says, reduce the media to the place they deserve punchlines. You can break real news on X without their help. So he DMS Noah Kirsch and says, any interest in the scrotum servicing event? <laughs> and Noah Kirsch is just doing my job here. Martin, he says, your job is to report on me talking at a local high school, bothering some 16 year old over who his choice in role models is. This is, this is the press. This is their role. The guy says, has the event been canceled? FYI, I didn't reach out to the DOE. He said, from what I understand, we're doing it somewhere else. I also have a quote for you. This is his quote that he's going to supply him for when he writes his follow-up piece. This is what Martin Shkreli has to say. I'm not mad. Less work for me is better. I like having fans, but I don't want to do work for them because I am lazy. So it would be good if it was canceled, but I think we will do it somewhere else, which is bad for me because I am lazy. As I said earlier in this quote, also lick my balls. (laughs) He says, you may publish not on background for attribution. (laughs) This is, this here is, this is vengeful sun energy. This is like, this is the mentality that, that, that wins the day. This is the kind of Gen X slash boomer or, or zoomer spirit that we've talked about in past episodes. This kind of, uh, it's very, it's like punk rock, but it's, it's, it's updated. It's modern. It has that, uh, that uh, I don't know, don't, don't give a fuck mentality. And I'm going to win. I don't care what sort of obstacles you put in front of me. If you cancel my event, I'm going to figure out a way to frame it as a win for me. In this case, he says... Um, Uh, He says, your editor-in-chief makes you write this BS, right? You're honestly doing me a favor. I put this appearance off for like six months, but I do feel bad for those kids. I'm just surprised you would write that I am mad because, as as I said in the official quote, this clears my calendar for video games. (laughs) So, like, this is the guy who had his entire life screwed over, lost everything, spent several years in federal prison, and he actually he started dating that that chick that he was dating, who the one who broke the news of his arrest. I mean, there, there's there's a move for you. The chick breaks the news of your arrest, and then you start dating her while you're in prison. And then he broke up with her while he was in prison, and she was sad about it. Like, the dude is a is a is a he's a dude. This is the sort of mentality, like when we talk about the positive Vengeful Sun energy, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. The Bill Ackman, the Martin Shkrellys. The guys who are focused on playing the game that has been laid out in front of them and not whining and crying that it isn't the game they wanted it to be. Like these guys aren't belly aching. And bemoaning the fact that the world that they lived in doesn't exist anymore. They're not posting winsome, sentimental posts. Look what they took away from us. Look how soft and pathetic and victimized we've become. Look how bad it is. We don't even have a country for ourselves anymore. Like, I'm not saying that those aren't legitimate emotions to feel. But it's just so pathetic and bitchy to see ostensibly full grown men acting that way. We've talked about our guy, Alex Hormozzi before, and he talks at length about how, like he doesn't care what world you drop him into. If he was broke, if if he woke up tomorrow and was completely broke, had no money, you dropped him off in some random city or random country somewhere, Within a year, he'd be a millionaire. And I don't think that that's just bravado. I've seen how the guy operates. I know a number of guys like that. They know how to make money. They know how to generate the value necessary to make themselves a lot of money. But not just that. They don't just know how to make money. They know how to make money work for them. They understand the principles of it. And they're not here th- with their hands out, waiting for life to hand them something. They're not like, oh, we had this great country and now we deserve to have this country given back to us. And if we don't have our daddy here to come give us the thing we want, then we're just gonna sit on our thumbs and wait for him to show up. Like the when we introduced the the gunicry, when we introduced the term gunic, and we talked about uh, uh, zero HP and... His tweet, where the majority of the tweet was brilliant, but then at the bottom he's like, "Yeah, there's nothing you can do about this except, you know, eventually at at, at, at some point in time, some powerful man will rise up and he'll fight all of our battles for us." That's the little bit of nihilism. That's the that's the gunicry. That we just have to wait for some Caesar to come save us, come bail us out. Caesar will show up when we start embodying him in our own lives when we stop crying about the world that we live in and start focusing on building the world that we want to live in it doesn't have to be the perfect world it doesn't have to be perfectly optimally engineered it doesn't have to be the perfect opportunity it just has to be an opportunity to make things a little bit better than they are now And there's abundant opportunities for that, but you have to be willing to see them. You have to actually be adopting a posture that says there's reasons for hope and optimism. If your knee-jerk reaction to every single thing that happens is what's the catch? What's the downside? And then you just focus on the catch then you deserve to be where you are. You deserve to be unhappy with your life. Slavery you don't deserve mindset. a country. Yes. That's your slave mindset. That's your poverty mindset. We made a big hullabaloo with the libertarians a couple years ago when we started saying, stop being poor. Ironic that of all people, it's the libertarians who started screeching about that. Right, right. It was the very guys revealing. Who are the capitalists. It revealed that they, that that was like, that was oh, one of the so big hard, things man. that moved me away from libertarianism because yeah. I realized these are just, these are just pathetic, impotent whiners, but that libertarian spirit is like, it's, it's followed me. It's followed <laughs> the, the, the end of the, the, you know, NRX and all the different dissident right wing, this, that thing, whatever that libertarian spirit is persisting this perpetual pessimism doom casting and it's 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 just it's toxic you have to have you have to have hope by the way they talk you would expect that they're all millionaires uh huh right but they're like fundraising to get some guy to go to the, to pay for some guy's rent because he spent his last dollar to go to the, the, the Reno convention. I'll see you in <laughs> Reno. Right. <yeah. laughs> the thing about stop being poor that everybody seemed to miss.
1: kind they think of him Is... as a
0: hero. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Like he sacrificed this, himself. It just seems irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Clearly he doesn't have kids. <laughs> I think he does. Oh my god! Seriously, is it who I who was it? I don't know. I don't know who it was. I just I just heard about it. I don't know. Who was Nashua it Joshua Ham?
1: I don't know if it was or wasn't. You I mean, don't Joshua remember. Smith. Joshua Smith. Maybe no, no, it wasn't him. Not Joshua Ham. Not Joshua no. Ham. Uh, <laughs> Josh Smith.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't think it was him. Yeah, no? that, that okay. doesn't seem like a like a him thing to do. Um. Yeah, he does seem smarter than that. Yeah, but it. So the thing with the stop being poor that everybody got hung up on was that... Josh Ham is one of our guys. He is, yeah. Poor, to be poor, is a mindset. Being broke is temporary. But poverty is a mindset. If you're poor, it's because your mindset is poor. I just started reading the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad after having enough people yell at me about it. Enough people saying I have to read this book. I started reading it yesterday and it's genuinely it's very good. It's very good. It's very good in terms of like rewiring the way that you the way that you look at life, the way you look at your your role, especially as a man. Especially as a man with children. Having a son of my own and wanting to and starting to think about having to have certain conversations with him and try to prime his mind and set him up for success. Being able to understand the difference between having money and having money work for you is a big deal. The difference between working for money and having money work for you, that's a big deal. But it starts even more fundamentally than that. Even before you get to the money conversation, nobody wants to talk about money. It's like become like a faux pas and it's like, you know, uh, you know, if you see, oh, this guy's a grifter. So one thing I really like about the hoteps is that they're just like, yeah, get your grift on boy. like like make some money. If you can make some money, go make some money. Everyone gets so like squeamish about like oh, money and he asked me for money and he's doing sales and uh oh, he has ad reads and uh oh, oh.
1: Hey guys, please give us money.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. But this is this is all part of the same mindset. The same scarcity poverty mindset that says we live in a and I think to tie in another conversation, I think this ties in very closely to the idea of, of perceiving yourself as being a speck of dust on a speck of dust in a massive, massive, incomprehensibly expansive universe that's expanding, accelerating out faster than the speed of light, and you're just whirring and spinning and there's nothing stable, there's no solid ground anywhere, and you're tilted and you're wobbling and everything's going all over the like. Yeah, no wonder people feel nihilistic and depressed and like, there's no hope. There's no optimism. There's nothing There's no nothing to work for, nothing to build for. Yet at the same time, they've got like this entitled, like, oh, this is our country. This is the country of my people. And I deserve to have my country back. It was a great country. And you guys came in and you destroyed it and give me my country back. And But it's like, they're not willing really to fight for the country. They just want the fighting for the country is just like posting angry screeds about how uh, some new... Uh, uh tranny or or some like how some like uh, uh whatever new jewish plot is the 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 thing of the day probably putting those two words together wasn't great whatever <laughs> like it, it's i'm not saying those things aren't true or valid or whatever to be concerned about but if the extent of your your energy that you dedicate to this is just spreading doom and pessimism and trying to demoralize people, because that's what that is. All of these accounts that post, um, can you believe this guy, like like whatever, this alpha male guy who's who has some, some uh, transgender wife, and he says it's because he appreciates femininity. Can you believe that? Can you believe this alpha male married a tranny, and he thinks it's because of the... This is just demoralizing. You don't need to spread this stuff around. The outrage porn about it. This is such a fantastic opportunity for people with the tools at our disposal, the connections that we have, the technology available to us. This is a great opportunity to build, to build really powerful things, to make all of us wealthy, successful, and make a difference in the world. We can do it cooperatively. We can work together in ways that people have never been able to work together before. We can form intentional communities that are dedicated toward doing things like coming up with ideas like this, spamming the internet with them and getting the idea trending. Yeah. I mean, like for example,
1: that clip we put out the other day, almost 40,000 people saw that. Like that's not like super huge viral, but that's beside the point is that, if you have a good product or service or some kind of value to provide to people, you only need a fraction. You don't, you don't need 40,000 people. You only need a fraction of that. You can be a millionaire. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. We've been conditioned to, to see these things as out of our reach. Now I was talking to someone recently. I don't want to, I don't want to dox him and what he's working on, but. He was describing this particular um, venture he wants to get involved with. And one of the things that really clicked for him is as he was researching this particular venture and all the details associated with it and everything, he was looking at the people who, were, who had been successful doing it. And he, w- he was like, these are not exceptional people. These are like very clearly like double digit iq like one guy used to be a janitor some chick was a barista whatever but they understood they learned how the legal code and the tax code how this stuff is set up and realized that they could take advantage of it the way the tax code the way the laws are set up i don't know if like this 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 might make you think about things a little bit differently. The way the tax code and the legal code are set up is explicitly designed to accommodate the lifestyles of rich people. So if you want to be able to take advantage of the tax code, if you, this is the whole thing with Stop Being Poor, people like, oh, taxation is theft, taxation is oppressive, I can't get ahead because of taxation. (laughs) Rich people don't pay taxes, so if you don't want to pay taxes, there's literally a way to do it. I was talking with with uh, Populibs about this the other day. He said he was. We were talking about the anti-tax, which is another really interesting sort of like vehicle for this sort of thing. We we're talking about his anti-tax, and he said long term, like one of his visions, one of his goals if he could really put it into practice, would be to do what the government does already, which is use the tax code to manipulate people's behaviors. If you want people to have lots of kids, you give tax breaks for having lots of kids. If you want people to start businesses, you give tax breaks for starting businesses. If you want people to buy cars, you give tax breaks for buying cars. So all you have to do is study the tax code. What are they giving you tax breaks for? Start doing those things. its I mean, it's, it's really quite that simple. You don't even have to have a lot of money to get started. There's so many different avenues that you could pursue. People like, oh, well, here, give me, lay, lay out the game plan for me. This is part of this same attitude. Like, everyone, someone, I'm in a bad position and I resent all these structures in society. And so somebody owes me a roadmap to get myself out. Maybe we could put together some sort of roadmap for someone like that. But the point is, you have they're to They're not start... going to follow
1: it. You could, but those,
0: those. Right. That's part of it. Especially if you give it to them for free. If yep. you give something to someone for free, they're not going to do it. They're not going to use it. It's, this has actually been, been documented. This has been, been like studied out and documented. Well, we've experienced that, this. Yeah. The more that you charge someone for something, the more seriously they'll take it. So if you want some, our, our fitness and nutrition program is not cheap. And the reason for that is because we want people to be successful with it. And if we give it away for cheap, people won't be successful with it. This has been very well established. The more someone pays for something, the more they will value it, the more they'll use it, the more they'll take advantage of it. So with, with, um, I I was saying something just a second ago, um, before you uh, before you chimed in with that very good point. But I lost my train of thought. Um uh, giving people a roadmap. Um oh yeah yeah yeah. So if you um if you give some if you gave someone a, a roadmap for free, they wouldn't they wouldn't follow it. If you charge them for it, they're much more likely to. Oh I remember what I was gonna say. Um when I was working with Jason Stapleton one of the things that we learned very quickly is that there's exceptions to every rule, but large patterns, the people who paid the most money for his services, there was people who were paying several thousand dollars a month for his services. And I was the one, I was the one getting them signed up and, and, and selling the program to them and, and getting them started with it and working, checking in with them and everything. The people who paid several thousand dollars were the easiest to work with the nicest, the most accommodating and the most hands off. They needed the least, uh, coaching. Cause they understood that for all of his other, you know, interesting characteristics, Jason was very, very good at advising people on building and growing and scaling their businesses. So he could give them a single nugget in one conversation that could make them literally millions of dollars once they applied it to their business. So for them paying a few thousand dollars a month was, was totally worthwhile. This is why mastermind groups exist the way that they do. Cause some of these little nuggets, as soon as you hear it, as soon as you apply it, you can make a massive return because of it. On the flip side, the people who paid the least amount of money or the people who signed up for free trials on stuff were easily the biggest headache. They were easily the ones who wanted the most free stuff, who wanted the most attention, who were the only ones who would ever ask for refunds. Nobody who paid thousands of dollars a month ever asked for a refund on anything. People who paid 10 bucks a month for stuff would ask for refunds. Because it just it's, it's the difference in the psychology. I remember
1: um, years ago, I was working for a very lucrative um insurance annuities kind of company and it was really interesting when people would take disbursements off of their annuities you'd see the the millionaires the rich people millionaire billionaire those people their annuities they they'd cut like a million dollar check and they'd have it sent by regular mail just so they wouldn't have to pay the ten dollar fee Whereas the people who had the, you know, $5,000 annuity or whatever would have a $200 check to them and they'd pay $20 to have it wired same day. So the millionaires, the billionaires, they were willing to wait five to seven days to get their million dollar check so they wouldn't pay $10. And then the person who's getting their $200 check was happy to pay 20
0: Hmm. It's
1: very different psychology. Yeah there's a reason why rich people are rich and poor people are poor.
0: Mhm. And I think that this is part of the reason why like if you if you had like ideological blinders on, like you maybe you were like politically colorblind, so you couldn't see, you didn't understand factions red, blue, democrat, republican, whatever. You're just looking at people ideologically neutrally. And you would see that on the quote unquote left side, you would just see that there's a group of people who are all very, very wealthy, tons and tons and tons of money over here. And then over here, there's way less money. And one of the things you might conclude from that, especially, I think if you started looking at the demeanor and the attitudes and stuff of at least the most vocal among the side that doesn't have all the money, you would recognize why. And it's because they have a poverty mindset. I think this is, I think this is the thing that's holding our guys, broadly speaking, this is one of the biggest reasons why there hasn't been a legitimate counter-elite that we could claim as our own, or that could advocate for our interests. It has to do with ideological purity spiraling and excessive risk aversion. And, and just this general downcast, pessimistic, hypercritical mentality. That's very, it's, it's very feminine, frankly, feminine in a, in a, in a, not in a, not in a, in a, it's like negative femininity, not like the positive good things about femininity, like the, the toxic, annoying things about femininity. So we get this sort of thing here. These are great opportunities for us. What Martin Shkreli's working on, Bill Ackman tossing grenades into academia, Elon Musk taking over Twitter, making the narrative fly off the handle. Vivek saying all the things that we've been desperate for a politician to say for so long. Like this is like people will beg for politicians to say all this stuff, and then the guy'll start saying the stuff that you want him to hear, and you'll oh no, he's not sincere. Oh no, he's owned. Oh no, he's Indian. Oh no, he's he's pagan. <laughs> like this, this is a, that's a perfect example right here. The the jaded and so jaded and cynical that, like, it's the very definition of looking a gift horse in the mouth. You have a guy who is almost out trumping Trump, and like. We can't just be like, yeah, we've got issues with him. We can sort those issues out out later. Let's just throw all of our support behind him. Throw money at him. Use these kinds of, like, the guy's active on Twitter. Start filling up his mentions with the stuff that you want him to say. Use him. These people are for sale. Go buy them. But in order to do that, you actually have, a, have to have a vision of how you're going to use them. And you need to have a way of funding that vision, which requires that you be financially competent yourself. And you have connections with people who are financially competent. It's going to take organization coordination, sacrifice, but it's like, in spite of all of that, we have to have. Or, or through all of that, all of the organization, the coordination, the, the investment, all this stuff, we have to have this energy. Like telling the journalists, go lick your balls. Like that's, <laughs> it, it's crude. I don't care. I love the energy. When you see a guy like Bill Ackman going on the war path against MIT and Harvard or whatever, don't, if if your impulse is to go early life check him, and then complain, and early life check his wife, and go look at his donation record, and then just complain and Doomer post about him? Go away. Go away. We don't want your type around us. Nobody should want you around, because you're, you've are you lost the plot. You don't, like, you are you you are are uh, allergic to success, and success is allergic to you. That's all I got. All right. Jeez, you almost went two hours.
1: You you almost went two hours.
0: <laughs> uh, Tyler James says a lot of Bitcoin guys have this energy. Just saying, yeah, yeah, like you could get these Bitcoin guys, this is part of what I've been saying is like, you've got all these, these Silicon Valley guys who overlap a lot with, you know, these the tech bros, Silicon Valley, Bitcoin guys. There's, there's all kinds of overlap. And if we started focusing on the things that we have in common a lot more than the things that we don't, and there's, there's a lot of very interesting partnerships and, and, you know, cooperative efforts that we could be a part of. So, you know, Bitcoin guys, I don't give a shit if you're a small blocker or a big blocker. I don't care what, if you're a maxi or whatever. How about we argue about that stuff when the time comes? Argue, have our little petty... um internecine disagreements when we can afford to. For now, let's start creating value and taking power. Creating a world and a life for our family and our friends. And then complain about the little tiny marginal things that separate us down the road when it's actually a luxury. There's always hope. Anybody who's, anybody who's demoralizing or, or, um, advocating against hope, shoot him down, call him a gunick, <clears throat> call him a gunick or a libertarian, whichever one's going to insult him more.
1: <laughs> Start, uh, drinking like two pots of coffee a day and half a pound of honey. There you mm-hmm. go. You guys have too much serotonin. I can yeah. Smell it on you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're serotonin maxing. Yeah, you've got the you've got the stink, the serotonin stink. Maybe that's there. There we go. The serotonin stink. Yeah. A couple pots of coffee and
1: it's like all those chicks who have like the SSR, the SSRI like gaze, The eyes are just kind of like dead eyes. Uh You guys have that because you you suck. (laughs) You're not even taking SSRIs. You're just
0: yeah. I don't know. The the chicks that have the SSRIs. (laughs) These guys have like they have the SSRIs, like, in personality, online personality,
1: SSRI, dick. <laughs> That's right. You have a bunch of tiny balls.
0: <laughs> Tell a journalist to lick them.
1: All Maybe right, they'll grow. They'll grow
0: you, a bit. You can... <laughs> Did you see the guy who jumped in the Bass Pro Shop? Uh. <laughs> tub of water. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> saw, someone posted the meme of him. Like he climbed out and he was like face planted on the ground. And it said, <laughs> it said me six days into 2024. <laughs> I like that guy. I like his energy. Yeah. Yeah. There's some more vengeful sun. That's like drunk vengeful sun. energy. For you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was like mushrooms or something. And he was just like, I'm one with the water. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am at real King pilled on, uh, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter. He's at Cooper Brooks. You can, uh, subscribe like this stream. How many likes do we have? We've got 11 likes and 13 viewers right at the moment. So that's not, you guys are, you're, you're not actually too bad. Um, but when you like this, when you, when you see the stream, please like the stream, share it. Um, Get it in front of some other people. And uh, and then you can also subscribe to the podcast. We've got the podcast feed out there. It usually posts a couple of days after we go live. If you want to see the live show, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube. And if you want to join the King Pilled Supporting Listeners Group, I will be hopping in the voice chat tonight. We'll have a nice little uh, little conversation in there with anybody else who wants to show up. So if you'd like to do that for now, subscribe dot star.com slash kingpilled. That'll get you in there. And maybe you could be a part of our next coordinated effort to get some sort of a uh, a messaging, uh, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, a message out on a, on a particular subject. I've been thinking about this, doing, doing
1: that, kind of experimenting, trying to come up with a formula for virality. Mm. I'm sure there's some already out there, but mm-hmm. I'm interested in how many... Just how, like, how how few people can you get away with? How many, like, how many, how many, I don't, I don't even know how to say it. Like, how many uh, degrees removed from, like, a big account do you need to be, you know, just to, mm. to blast something into the stratosphere?
0: Right. And then there's, like, the question of whether or not you, like, in our particular case, I don't have an account that I can just tweet something and count on it getting... Count on it getting traction like that. Any basically all the tweets I've had that have like blown up and gotten tons of interaction were just like the most low effort shit posts, just like posting a meme or, um, or just some offhand comment on something that doesn't isn't really like all that profound or anything. All of the most high effort posts that I make are the ones that just get a little bit of like a passing glance kind of. Um, but then there's some people who lit like every single they could tweet an F, and and they'd get you know, 11 million views. So there's also something you have to like account for. um, Like, in in our case, we were able to use the account, and then whore ourselves out and tag a whole bunch of people. And then they went and they retweeted it. So there's kind of like, there'd be some people that may not even be able to accomplish that. Like if they had just a, just a, a tiny account, or they just created an account, you could go tag all the people you want, and it might not get any traction. In my case I've got the blue check that I've paid for so at least it makes people think I'm more credible so um a <laughs> jokes on them. Uh yeah so yeah that would be interesting to come up with a formula for for virality perhaps that's something that we could do in the King Pill Discord. We could we could put our they don't know it but there are minions. We could put our minions to work for us. Start spinning the hamster wheel cranking out our yeah yeah. Mhm. Banking out our our results that we need. <laughs> Look how big my nose is. Hm. I don't know. How, I don't know who has a who has a bigger
1: nose, you or me. Probably me. I don't know, but you're proportionally a bigger guy. Yeah. My brother's got a freaking honker, dude. <laughs> Which one? Uh uh my closest brother Jackson.
0: Okay. The uh The minister, yes. I didn't think you were going to use his name. I thought you were going to use the uh, like each of your brothers, you could have like a pretty defined like single word that could describe them and pick them out. So I I thought maybe you'd do that. Uh, Oh well. Do you think we could awkwardly drag this out for, I don't know, three? That's, That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, we just kind of keep going until. We hit the two hour mark. Yeah, we got three not, minutes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Not saying anything of substance, just you know, just talking. Viewership hasn't dropped off yet. We actually got another like, so maybe the people like it when we don't talk about anything of substance. Hmm. Two bit podcast said micro penis sun is the wrong energy. Well, you know, micro penises are I think you're
1: projecting. More.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was actually a good question. Ryan Isaac said, how about this? Ways to adjust the poverty mindset. Just do? Honestly, I think that's actually, in part, yes. It is. I wasn't
1: joking about eating half a pound of honey and drinking eight cups of coffee a day. That's uh-huh. a good start.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, that reminds me, this is actually relevant right now. Uh, I read you that tweet the other day about testosterone. Do you remember that one?
1: Uh, you read me a lot of tweets.
0: Yeah, it's true. I do. Um, let me see if I can find it here real quick. I don't remember if I put it in the show content. Yeah, here it is. <clears throat> uh, share the screen. This will get us to. to what
1: you honest. guys are seeing right now is usually what Matt and I do for like four hours.
0: Yeah basically just sit here and talk <laughs> um so this guy i don't even know who. oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 i remember this one yeah yeah i just saw this tweet and thought it was good so i followed him because of it so i don't know anything about him his name's Abu abud bakri <laughs> he said taking something like a supplement to raise testosterone is almost an oxymoron you already read Con- this on the show you know that right oh did i yeah oh well we'll read it again consumption is feminine not masculine The male produces the seed. The female accepts it. The male member is external, while the female organ is internal. Testosterone is about doing something, not taking something. So the question, what do I take to raise tea, is foolish. Aside from injecting actual testosterone into your body, the rest is a contradiction to the essence of masculinity. Produce more, consume less. That is what I would say. Except for our show. Yeah, you should consume our show. But in reality, the way that the, these shows kind of work, and this is something that, that uh, 2Bit and I have talked about a decent amount, is that the show has a, a, a rough outline of a format of us just talking to you guys, but then you guys talk back to us, and we incorporate you into the show. When you say smart, clever things, then we highlight the smart, clever things you say. When you say dumb things, we highlight the dumb things and laugh at you. And when you ask good questions, then we can... We can veer away from talking about nothing for two hours or till to, to we get to the two hour mark to actually talking about something substantial. Like if you have this poverty mindset, I, I would, I would wager that having this poverty mindset and having low testosterone are probably, mm-hmm. um, overlap significantly. Yep. And, and I think he makes a really key uh, insight here. And it's, it's, it's reminiscent to some of the stuff we've talked before about, about like the masculine and feminine dynamic, what the, the, like symbolically what a, or, or typologically what a man is versus what a woman is. Women are fundamentally consumptive. So if you have this consumptive approach toward life, then you, even if you are a man, you are acting, you are embodying a woman. You're kind of like a, a, uh, a a tranny of sorts. So don't be that. Don't be impotent. Go do something. Bye guys. See it.